The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, strange political beliefs, both joy and despair, and sexual references. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Friday, the 6th of November 2020, in this first End of Spring series episode, I'm, well, apart from the previous one, I'm joined by John Birmingham, yes, that guy. We talk about many, many things, including the American election, of course, and the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag has sort of lost a bit of ground because it's a disgraceful fucking treason rag. We learn something about JB's friends. Some of my best friends are Trump voters. And we hear why politicians want us to be afraid of things and... Just forget about the fact that none of these cunts pay tax. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. This is the 9pm Overturned Turtle Taliban with John Birmingham. So, JB, I was going to start with a recording of Trump's kind of victory speech from the other day, but I reckon we really need to start with Anderson Cooper from just a few hours ago, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll Mm -hmm. get back to the Pyrrhic victory speech later. That is the President of the United States. That is the most powerful person in the world, and we see him like an obese turtle on his back flailing in the hot sun, realising his time is over but he just hasn't accepted it and he wants to take everybody down with him, including this country. I'll come back to that in a second, John, but leading up to today, what's the shape of your week been like? <laughs> I, um, like most of the world, uh, I was awake very, very early on, um, uh, you know, the, the night after the vote or the night of the vote or whatever it is, it gets mm. you know confusing because of the the dateline and stuff. And I, I did, yeah, um, yeah. I've, I I had a few drinks that night. I was intending to have a few on the the night of the election. I managed to avoid obsessively doom scrolling it through the day because I, I had a, a I had a gig for the army. Actually, I had to go off to um, the uh, the barracks at Anogra and um, give a little talk about information. Uh, systems and you know information warfare and stuff and uh, it, it was i was so glad to um to have that gig on because it just meant that between about 10 in the morning and and four in the afternoon i was i was offline and i you know i was engaged with something other than the end of the world and so i, I didn't have the experience that most people had of um you know watching things go very quickly pear-shaped I went to bed early, like, you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and I had a bit of a skin fall, I must admit. And I woke at about 12.30, like sweating and shaking and with this weird sense of sickening deja vu, which wasn't deja vu at all. I was actually having deep body memories of the night after ScoMo got up against um, Shorten. And I, I, oh, I woke. Yes. I, I had a, you know, we had a an election party that night. You can imagine how that went. And I, I woke up at um, that, I woke up at three thirty on that one, and I was just so enraged that I couldn't get back to sleep. I thought, like, bugger this! I'm just going to go do some work. I might as well make something of this. I might as well make a lot of money, 
and you know park it in an offshore account in the Caymans or something and pay no tax on it. That that's what the country country voted for. That's what I'm going to lean into. And I, I went off and I, I wrote the um, that pilot episode, which I think I I might have even shown you a couple of months ago for the um, uh, the sort of comedy spy series. Oh yes, and um, I I thought I. I <laughs> I wake up, I check my watch, <clears throat> twelve thirty Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, whenever it was, and I said, "Oh well, I'm just I'm back here again." And I I, I lay in bed seething for about twenty or thirty minutes. Uh, I thought about getting up and you know going and writing a book. Knew that wasn't going to happen this time. Eventually, got back to sleep, and by the time I wake up again, things had started to shake themselves out. It, it's yeah, it's funny. Like you get on Twitter at the moment, people are like Australians because we're the ones who are sort of dominating the local feeds at the moment. Obviously, it's it's in the afternoon. Everyone's still obsessing about it. Everyone's refreshing, you know, whatever <laughs> count page they're looking at every you know three or four minutes. And everyone's got opinions about the American electoral system and the you know the um, the college system or whatever. And I should say, what's also coming out now are the bad jokes, right? Mm. The shit posting is in overdrive, and it's you can you can understand why. I mean, he's he's taken over. He's he's forced himself into everyone's consciousness uh, in a very uncomfortable fashion the last four years or so. But yeah, you know, it's from a policy setting. If you you want to get wonky about it, it's actually super important that um, you get rid of him because you know I just go back to the fact that that backing. Um, Trump was a $5 bet by Vladimir Putin that paid off as though he was playing at the million-dollar high-roller tables. Like, you know, they they thought they would um, get in and have a bit of a mess around and maybe do a little damage to the um, legitimacy of the American system. And it, 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 ching, 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 he cashed in like he could not believe. He must have been sitting there at the same time as I'm lying in bed in Brisbane seething. Putin would have been throwing back the crystal at um, the Kremlin, <laughs> roaring with laughter, unable to believe that he'd, he'd, he'd done it again. Well, I have this theory, and I've had this theory for four years now, that the Russian sense of humour is such that the GRU or the, the Internet Research Agency would have said, hey, let's see if we can make the dumbest man in America the mm. president, right? That that appeals to the Russian sense of doom laden chaos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just you can imagine them watching, you know, Game of Thrones and just roaring with laughter everyone every time someone says, you know, <laughs> the night is long and full of terrors. Oh yes. <laughs> uh, well, look, uh, well, look to take us back to that Anderson Cooper quote. I mean, we've seen that now in the last 48, 72 hours. Baseless legal cases; mm. they're all being chucked out of court. Uh, the lies, well, there's always been blatant lies, but flailing on his back. I mean, you started today's Alien Side Boob column with that Anderson Cooper quote as well. So how mm. do you how do you read Trump's state of mind now? Uh, in in some ways, it, it, it's pretty easy. Like we, we've known for a long time that he is mentally ill. Uh, you know his his niece, the um, 
uh, Mary Trump. Yeah, yeah. The the, the uh, psychiatrist has you know written a very long treatise about his malignant narcissism and like all of the damage that he sustained as a as a child. Um, so you know, if you want to know what he's thinking, I'm, I'm sure there's a a chapter in the the DSM five you could consult. <laughs> he's you know, he is a malignant narcissist. He's almost certainly a psychopath. He is a person for whom really nothing in the world exists and nothing is real except for him, his needs, his drives, his internal life. And all of a sudden, an external reality has pressed in on him. The the way he's feeling at the moment is the way that my, my Labrador was feeling the other day when a gigantic Brisbane storm came over it was like you know as far as she was concerned there's all this thunder and lightning and and terror it's it's the end of the world that's what to trump this feels like the end of the world um and you know it's uh i i'm kind of my my bet is that he will um, over the next couple of weeks because he's got another 70 days in office or something before yeah. he finally has to go he'll go one of two ways he'll either be he'll just take himself off to Mar-a-Lago and play golf if we're lucky and he you know he won't um, <laughs> so essentially won't nothing will change yeah yeah that's right um, <laughs> or he'll be like Saddam at the end of the war and he'll just like he'll burn the oil wells on his way out the door Well, look, let's listen just to a couple of quick grabs from what Trump was saying today. Uh, And this was, of course, what Anderson Cooper was talking about. Uh, This first one is from sort of relatively early in the piece. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. If you count the votes that came in late, we're looking at them very strongly, but a lot of votes came in late. I've already decisively won many critical states, including massive victories in Florida, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio. To name just a few, we won these and many other victories despite historic election interference from big media, big money, and big tech. So they're all against him. Mm-hmm. And then a little later, he goes to this tack. As everyone now recognizes, media polling was election interference in the truest sense of that word by powerful special interests. These really phony polls, I have to call them phony polls, fake polls, were designed to keep our voters at home, create the illusion of momentum for Mr. Biden and diminish Republicans' ability to raise funds. They were what's called suppression polls. Everyone knows that now. And uh, it's never been used to the extent that it's been used on this last election. He's sounding flat, but at the yeah, same he, time, he, he, it's, it's still the patter. Yeah, he's he's exhausted. Um, he's uh, tired and emotional, but without the um, you know the the alcohol. The alcohol. Well, he doesn't drink alcohol. No, yeah. that's right. He's just th- this is a bloke who's um, you know he's he's been smashed flat by reality and he's he's not really coping with it it's uh, it's 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 funny if you if you go back and look at the aftermath of the uh, 2018 
uh, midterms when it was expected to be this this massive blue wave and that it didn't seem to eventuate eventuate on the night and he was you know quite buoyant on the night and then same thing as the um, you know the pre polls and the uh, the postals come in over the the following couple of days and you know, maybe up to two weeks something like that it. it it emerges that in fact there has been a blue wave. It's just uh, it it's it's sort of risen slowly rather than coming in like a, a mountainous wall of water. And if you look at the results here, the repudiation of Trump looks more and more profound the further we get from. Uh, voting day. So, you know, one of the problems that he's got with, you know, that um, pack of rubbish that he was trying to retail just before is that his um, uh, his, his colleagues and comrades in the, the Republican Party have done very well. So, you know, any, any theory which sort of posits that Republican voters were somehow tricked into staying home has to account for the fact that Republican voters turned up and kicked a bunch of Democrats out of the House and, um, you know, kept them out of the Senate. Like last week, the Dems were looking at taking control of the Senate with, you know, an easy four or five gets. And, you know, they had stretch goals of maybe even, you know, getting six, seven eight seats and entrenching oh, yeah. themselves there for, for years to come. And none of that has happened. You know, they might have a chance if uh, they get this Georgia runoff in January, but to be honest, I don't think they'll, they'll get up there either. So there has been, you know, it's, it, there's been more people vote in this election than any other. So, you know, it's just rubbish that people were, were tricked into not turning up. And the Republicans have done a hell of a lot better in many ways than um, anybody was expecting to. The, the the one bloke who hasn't done well is is Trump. And, you know, and in some ways, he, he's, he's, he or other the people that, you know, have worked for him have pulled off a couple of tricks here and there. He's got this really fascinating um, win. It's a little win, but it's a definite win among uh, male minority voters. So, um uh, you know, Latino males, and you have to then like chop the Latino pie up into a couple of different wedges. So, you know, you've got your Cuban Latinos and your Puerto Rican Latinos and Mexican, like blah, 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 blah. And each of them, you know, each demographic tends to behave a little differently, but it's undeniable that he's done a lot better with them than he meant to. And he's um, he's done pretty well with, uh, well, sorry, he's done comparatively well with uh, black American male voters as well. And and everyone's sitting around scratching their heads thinking, why? And uh, I think the, um, you know, the answer to that is that, you know, Donald Trump is, is a fucking gangster. He's a rapper. <laughs> he lives like a rapper. And, you know, to some guys, uh, culturally, that's some... Um, that's probably attractive, and uh, so they, you know, they've they've sort of rubbed themselves up against it. So he's done well with a couple of, like, you know, sort of wedges of of demography, but then if you look at the way his vote collapsed among like some core Republican constituencies, like all of the things that were predicted to happen happened, and you know, it's it's his own fault. He's he's brought it on himself 
This is from Jason Whitlock, who's an American sports journalist. This election swings for Biden. It's a statement about hate and its power to conquer love if supported by what I believe is corruption. So Biden is full of hate. Mm. Trump is full of love. Mm. It's weird, isn't it? It's look. There's a lot. Look, it's it's difficult. I I know people who voted for for Trump. I've got friends who voted for him. You know, people that yeah, you know, they're, they're some of my best friends are Trump voters, and um, you know, they're not they're not bad people. They're not even racists or bigots. Um, they 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 really they bristle and react badly to being thought of as racists or bigots, and it becomes this sort of tightening, self-fulfilling decision loop where, you know, a, a bit like, you know, me back at school where I thought I was going to get strapped for being naughty. Well, I might as well just be fucking naughty. And <laughs> and, it, and it became this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but I, I, I have to stop myself from from reaching out really and engaging with them and going, why do you think that? Like I, I saw one today, a very good friend of mine, a, a bloke, you know, um, I, I consider a close mate who is, he's, he's not, he's not a dummy. He's, he's, he's not like a, a, a knuckle dragging backwards redneck biggering. This guy is smart. And um, he said, yeah, he wrote a quite nuanced piece on Facebook of all places. But he, he prefaced the piece by saying that he, he thought the election had been stolen. And, you know, it's it's similar to what that that weirdo sportscaster was saying. And I just, I almost almost sent him a, an email. I said, well, why? Why do you think that? Like, what is what is your what is your evidence for that? You know, give, give me something empirical to go on rather than just your, your feels. Because, you know, the fact is the, the American... Um, America doesn't have an electoral system and has about 50 of them and they're all controlled at the state level and they're mostly run by Republican grifters because most states are run by Republican oh. grifters. And, and with that being the case, how do the Democrats who could not organise a piss up in a brewery on a good day, how, how do they pull off a massive plot like that? Because, you know, the fact is they can't, they didn't. But it's fascinating that so many of them think that that's what's happened. I, I think it goes to a sort of, you know, a, a bigger and, and related but separate issue about sort of, you know, toxic information silos and, mm, mm. Um, and you know, the sort of the, 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 the death of agreed realities. But that's, you know, as they used to say at the end of um, – uh, the magic roundabout. That's a story for another day. <laughs> you mentioned grifters there. This next grab I actually called Grifter One. Uh, this is actually a Trump campaign legal advisor. Mm. This morning, the Court of Appeals there in Philadelphia ordered the Philadelphia elections officials to allow Republicans access to witness how the ballots are being handled. And Philadelphia election officials are in contempt. They are ignoring that court order and going on with the counting without Republican election monitors there to witness it. And the kind of shenanigans that can occur there, by the way, in Philadelphia, you have election workers 
with Biden Harris 2020 masks on. And they're the ones who look at ballots and they see if a ballot is defective in some way, they may fill it in or fix it. And there's nobody on the Republican side to witness it. And because that election is so close and because the president's lead is declining, that is where we could lose it. And it is an outrage that those people are in contempt of court. And meanwhile, we're waiting for the United States Supreme Court, which of which the president has nominated three justices to step in and do something. And hopefully Amy Coney Barrett will come Mm. through and pick it up. There's no guarantee of that, Lou. So we have to fight this on the ground and make sure that we challenge in every place we are. That's all a lie. That yeah, no, everything. I was just there as I was listening to that. I was just thinking <laughs> everything this woman is saying is not just wrong. It is just a bald-faced lie. Every yeah, single people, thing she said was a lie. Yeah, the people at the election place in Biden masks are Biden's. Uh, uh, what what do we call them here? Um, Scrutineers. Um, that's the Biden scrutineers. There are Republican scrutineers right. in there as well. Yeah, what, um, what yeah. she's complaining about is that they're not letting all the amosexual crisis actors who've, like, turned up from the Trump militia in to stand over them with their bloody, you know, redneck AK-47s. At, um, it's it, it's Did that – I'm curious, that clip, do, do you know if that – did that come off um, – uh, Fox or OAN or something because I, I would have, uh, or the ABC perhaps, because I, I would have expected any journo to have pushed back on that. Because you know, listening to it, if you've if you got half a clue, there's there's any number of places where you could have said no, that's not true, or you know you could have pushed back, or and yet they just let it go on with it. The one, the one actually, interestingly, the one thing she said that was. Uh, how would you say it's uh, uh, almost a, a, a reveal of truth a, big, was, reveal, a, a yeah. big reveal was the amy coney barrett thing well you know we put these three judges on they better do the right thing uh, she <laughs> yeah. you know she spoke the truth at that point i suspect and i've just checked that that clip was of course from fox yeah so you know that's yeah, why it wasn't I, I can imagine uh, you can see that the you know the, the working media is pretty much um, that. Well, you know, they've learned a lot of lessons, I guess, since since 2016. It was interesting earlier today when you know that uh, Trump played his sad trombone in the, um, uh, the the White House briefing room or wherever it was. That or I think almost every major network other than Fox cut away after the first minute or so, and then just began not just to fact check it, but to just to break it down and go, look, you know, that's just rubbish. Yeah, it, it was uh, ABC, CBS and NBC all cut away, MSNBC cut away, CNN didn't, Fox certainly didn't. Uh, but here, uh, funnily enough, it's the next thing I have uh, queued up and ready to go, uh, here's what uh, MSNBC did, like cut straight into when Trump was speaking. Okay, here we are again in the unusual position of not only interrupting the president of the United States, but correcting the president of the United States. And Ari Melber, don't go far, uh, given that you are our chief legal correspondent. There are no illegal votes that we know of. There has been no Trump victory that we know of. That's right. Uh, Brian, we just heard the president come out pretty remarkable. As you said, he said, quote, according to the legal votes, he believes he wins. That's false. Uh, the legal votes, if you want to use that term or 
the votes that have been lawfully apportioned, meaning what we've been following in each of these states, uh, do not show that. They actually show what we found, which is some states going in both directions, no one to 270. 270 being, of course, as we mm. all know, the magic number of Electoral College. We all Folks, know too much <laughs> about the American electoral system, <laughs> way too much. But hear that. They say the unusual position of, like, correcting the President of the United States. This shouldn't be unusual, right? Journalism, as I once understood it, was about the truth. Mm. And if someone is lying to you, you say that's not True. Maybe you don't accuse them of lying because they might just be mistaken or they might have misspoken. No, but, it's, yeah. It, it, you, yeah, it's – I'm actually I'm, – I'm researching an essay at the moment about um, about this – about the difference basically between truth and balance, which, you know, once upon a time – didn't used to be in such annihilating tension with each other, but which over the past, what do you reckon, 15, 20 years have oh, become... I'll put it back a little longer because when I was at, um, a producer with the ABC in the 80s, my God, more than 30 years ago, um that's when we started to get the political parties using a stopwatch mm-hmm. to time, you know, which side speakers spoke for how many seconds, and that was apparently how balance is achieved. Yeah. Uh, so it's been around a while. Yeah, it, it, it has. It's um, my, my earliest memories, I mean, we, we're now talking about the local context, which means you're almost always talking about the ABC, which is funny because uh, you know the ABC is is a small sliver of the the media market in Australia, mm. um, and you know having done some work there myself, one of the things I can testify to is that you know the the, the people who work at the ABC are uh, they're they're terrified of being caught out, sort of. You know, slipping on 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 one side or the other. It's I, I, it's one of the reasons that I worked there. I, I I found after you know a, a couple of uh, days exposure to it that it just it drove me nuts. Like you weren't if you could sit if you're you know you're on air, you're conducting an interview, and someone's talking absolute rubbish to you. You have to be very, very careful. Well, you basically, you can't call them out. You can't, look, that's just rubbish. You have to let them finish the interview and then, you know, maybe you go off and, and, and find someone and bring them back in to, to create balance. And this goes back to this And if it's a politician, about, it's just yeah. going to be a politician from the other side. Yeah, And surprise, right. surprise, they say the first politician was talking rubbish. Yeah, and it's, this, this is, is great news. It's a great quote or meme or whatever I've seen floating around the net. It's a quote about journalism, and um, I'm sorry, I, I can't recall uh, who you know worked it up in the first place. But it, it was, and it was specifically in relation to um, uh, the journalism of, of climate change. And whoever this you know this genius was was saying something like, you know, it's if you've got you know, one person saying that it's raining outside and another person saying it's fine. It's not the job of a journalist to report both and let people come to their own conclusions. It's, you know, stick your head out the fucking window and find out and tell people. And yeah. um, that is something that 
has. It's it's weird. Like it just the US system is is a little different to ours in that it, it really does the US journalists they you know they see themselves as the you know, what they call it, the fourth estate or whatever and 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 they they have a, a conception of their role um, you know vis-a-vis the state and 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 civilization as a little different from you know journos in in Australia and you know they, they take it super fucking seriously and I think it's it hasn't done them any favors over the past 10 or 15 years but having said all that to get back to the original point we were talking about I, I think that since 2016 they have realized that something they thought was a strength was actually a vulnerability that could be played and you can see that in the way that um you know, they handled the the, the the Hunter Biden laptop from hell fiasco. <laughs> like they would have run, they would have run with that story back in 2016 and they would have covered it like it was an actual story rather than, you know, the load of, you know, poison old cods that it actually was. And, and there was, there's been some interesting reporting recently on how um, Bannon had this, uh, uh, this theory of, anchoring left and pivoting right so and what that meant was that if he had some crazy story about say hillary's emails or something or or hunter's laptop that he wanted to 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 break out from the fringes into the mainstream you you wouldn't put it uh, in, in a cesspit like breitbart you needed to get it somewhere like the washington post or the new york times and once they ran it then it could sort of, you know, make its way over to the right. And the fact that it had been broken in the mainstream press would anchor the story and then you pivot right and you go crazy with it. And uh, that was the plan for the the Biden laptop story. And it it didn't work out because thankfully, you know, they'd learned a lesson since 2016. Look, I'll end this segment with... Uh, just briefly, another American TV presenter calling it like it is. This is uh, Jake Tapper on CNN. What a sad night for the United States of America to hear their president say that, to falsely accuse people of trying to steal the election, to, to, to try to attack democracy that way with this feast of, of falsehoods. Lie after lie after lie about the election being stolen. No evidence for what he's saying, just smears about the integrity of vote counting in state after state. When he wins a state, it's legitimate. When he loses, it's because the vote is being stolen from from him. It's not true, it's ugly, it's frankly pathetic. The president, for example, he, he assailed vote by mail. Why, he asked, why are the vote by mail ballots so overwhelmingly in favor of Joe Biden? We all know the answer. It's because the president told his supporters not to vote by mail. So Democrats did it overwhelmingly and his supporters turned out in droves on election day. Look, President Trump has always been transparent about the smears and lies and strategies of falsehoods. We knew he was gonna do this. We knew he was gonna claim votes by mail were not real, but he's wrong. It's a lie. He's lying about the election. He's smearing the American people. He's smearing people who are working at polls, and it's a disgrace. We, we, knew, we knew that the president was not going to lose graciously uh, if, he, if he lost, uh, but, but frankly, watching him flail like this is just, it's just pathetic.
Moving along, uh, an author by the name of Jeff Charlotte, who apparently wrote a thing called The Family, which is on Netflix, and also a book, This Brilliant Darkness, um, he noticed that at Trump rallies, etc., that the US flag has been slowly fading away. And at one in Wisconsin last week, all those American flags were gone, but the Blue Lives Matter version of the flag was there, which he said that's basically a fascist banner. Mm. And it really is, isn't it? It's it's the US flag rendered with the red out, so it's just in blue and white with blue and white stripes, and across the middle a kind of slightly brighter blue line. Now, it started as the Blue Lives Matter anti-Black Lives Matter, but it does seem to have become... I don't know, almost a replacement for the Confederate battle flag. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the Confederate flag has sort of lost a bit of ground because it's a disgraceful fucking treason rag, um, so they needed something to replace it. And I'm actually just looking at this this flag now. I, I noticed it too about a week or so ago. I thought, what the hell's that? And um, it's a striking piece of design in many ways uh, because, you know, it, it takes – um, this you know, iconic imagery and it, it sort of messes with it and it, it does actually manage to make it seem, you know, a little Nazi adjacent without throwing 50 tiny SWAT stickers up there in, in, in place of the, um, the stars. And it's, it, would actually, it would be fascinating, I, I, you know, that's one of these things I'd like to read, a two or 3,000 word uh, or even a 15,000 word New Yorker piece on, like where the hell did this thing come from mm. and, you know, what kind of Laney Riefenstahl genius designer came up with it in the first place because it does seem to have a, a lot more sort of um, sophistication and, and even nuance in its... Uh, symbology and design language than you would really think these these ass clowns would be capable of. Um, and you said what? So this is like this was originally a Blue Lives Matter. Yeah, yeah, thing. and cops uh, cops just have it as a badge that they you know put on their shoulder below their mm. unit patch or whatever. Interestingly enough, it has also been seen in Australia. Of course. With some cops, where of course, I know. I just, yeah. I just, I just, I find this wearying and depressing and and, and vexing. That I mean, you know, here's you and me sitting here spending the afternoon talking about American politics, but you know, mm. I, I can I can justify it. The thing that really interests me, I have two two interests in American politics. One is that uh, unless America deals with climate change, we're all going to die. Uh, and the other one, sort of you pull back a bit from that, like we in Australia have some quite serious geostrategic challenges that we're going to have to meet over the next 25 to 50 years. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have um, US support in that, uh, we're fucked. And so, you know, for, from those two um, sort of lines, uh, I, I can sort of, you know, I, I can turn them into rails, which take me right into, you know, the heart of American politics. That's that's why I'm writing in there. That's why I'm interested in it. But one of the things I, I, I do find really dispiriting is is the way that 
People on the left and the right, but, but particularly on the right in Australia, just, just wholesale want to um, import the stupidest memes and the, the dumbest takes and the, you know, the, the, the biggest fucking idiot responses to everything from the US. Like it was, um, let's you know, get over yourselves. Speaking of idiots, uh, this kind of American Taliban, except, well, mm. with their about the, with their technicals that are, you know, well, <laughs> pretty much technicals, their four-wheel drives with big massive flags, they're just lacking the firearms, but that's just because they haven't mounted them on the trucks yet. Yeah, the gun racks are all inside rather than on the <laughs> That's right, the yeah. It's just, it's just a slightly different design decision, really. Last time we spoke, it was it was two months ago, almost exactly. We did spend a lot of time talking about the potential for violence. Mm. And with that in mind, here's a very brief grab from a guy called Vernon Jones. He's a state Congress critter from Georgia. And he's that bizarre creature, a black pro-Trump Democrat. He doesn't like the pro-Biden vote. He thinks he's going to start shooting. Mm. Will there be others? Oh, maybe. Uh, at this point, you know, the, the chance of, um, you know, some lone gunman or, you know, a, a, a couple of complete numpties deciding to go off. I mean, it's always there. If you look at the um, the uh, it's a redneck militias that have gathered outside the counting house in um, Arizona, I think, um, yeah. you know, those guys are all tooled up. And you, you, know, you saw what happened in Kenosha when things got out of hand. Uh you know, people people were shot and killed. So I mean that that is that is a live possibility at any time. You have some idiot turning up with a gun. It's and yeah, it's you've got you've got you know lots of people, lots of anger, lots of ill feeling, and you know you put weapons in with that. And in the sort of at the tactical level, I, I guess to use a, a sort of uh, a military term, whenever you put hostile forces into contact, if you put extra weaponry in there, there's a fair chance that weaponry is going to get used. And it's always a little surprising, i got to say, when it's, it's not used. Uh, whether or not you, the, the chances of uh, systemic organised violence breaking out are higher now than they were the last time we talked, I really, I, I couldn't tell you. I'd have to, to check the odds in Vegas on that. It doesn't. <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't feel like there's a, an imminent um, outbreak of, of, of large-scale organised or semi-organised violence coming, but the conditions for it are, are all there. I, I tell you the thing that would give me some... Um, Give me some uh, optimism about that was just the lack of energy in Trump's... Um, Trump's delivery before. Yeah, if, I was just if about he to say. He did come out spewing 
poison and 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 breathing fire and and punching the lectern and and you know yelling at the you know the proud boys and the boogaloos you know not just to, to stand by but to to stand up and to get out there it, it, it it's really it's down to him it, it's his choice if he and and this is where we get into you know the swamp of his his motivations like uh if he decides that he's going to take the loss then then what you default back to is individual instances of of violence you know, most of which to be honest are going to be perpetrated by the cops um, but if you know if he looks at the fact that he really needed to be in the Oval Office when he was renegotiating those $400 million worth of loans and he really <laughs> needs to be in the Oval Office to fend off the investigations from SDNY and the only way he can protect himself from the predations of the New York State Attorney General uh, is to, you know, use the power of the federal government um, and, you know, it's basically to argue what Barr was arguing for him in that E. Jean Carroll rape case that, uh, you know, he he needs to be defended by the state because he is the president, so he is the state. And if if his thinking is that if I, as soon as I leave this office, I'm fucked, not just I'm vulnerable, but I'm fucked and I'm going down, then there is a chance that he might calculate in you know not in a sort of three-dimensional chess way but in a you know a shithouse rat cunning way that you know i've really i've just got to create enough sort of chaos to you know so that people people get to a point where they just they want the the firm hand of control reasserted and i'm that firm (laughs) hand so you know you know a a few a few militia guys killed there a few national guard guys killed over there and i can ride in and 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 save the whole thing and and you know while i'm at it i might just send dhs into the county house of pennsylvania and grab up a couple of hundred thousand postal votes while i'm at it that um that could you know that, that that could easily happen, but given he was so flat and so deflated, you know, his low energy performance um, today makes me think that he's 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 done. He's over it. Because remember, this guy he didn't expect to um, to win the first time around. He didn't even well, want to want to be there. Yeah. It was just a, a, a branding exercise for Trump stakes and expensive golf clubs. So. Uh, it's part of him would be thinking, oh, just, I, I just really want to go home because, <laughs> you know, he hasn't had a huge amount of fun the last four years. Um, you know, what are the, the only like true things he's said since he's been president? Is, I, I remember in an interview, someone asking him reasonably early on, like 18 months, two years into it, you know, what's it like being president? And he said, no, it's, it's no fun at all. I had more fun when I was at oh. home. And it, it's, <laughs> he would he, he would have had a lot more fun just, you know, being a white-collar criminal <laughs> You know, the, you know, occasional rapist, and you know all of the other crimes he could get up to and and get away with because you know he's a wealthy white man, and now all of a sudden, like you know, the whole world's checking on him, and it, there's no fun at all. So I, I I think it will come down to, and you know, the calculation could be as quick as you know, just just half a second in his head while he's up at a lectern somewhere, he just thinks I'm just going for it. 
And if he decides to go for it, yeah, then you're going to see like large-scale semi-organised violence. Um, but I just don't – I think the fact that he's probably off the steroids now um, means that we're, we're probably good. We have seen the Trump train in the past few days blocking up roads and trying to, I think, stop getting – uh, stop people getting in to vote, which is weird because it's them that's going in to vote on the day. But uh, the fun one for me was when Channel 9 here in Australia actually ran a satirical piece mm-hmm. by Brent Terhoon as news. They didn't realise the the long-bearded bloke claiming to have organised the Trump train in, in whichever city it was was a joke. Yeah. Is, is this for the socials? Okay. Let's just, let's do it real quick. We organized the Trump train here in Indianapolis. Uh, basically, our message is simple. We support the president. We support law enforcement. We believe in God. And we think the best way to show our support is to create traffic. If we can make somebody late for something, then we've shown our support. Plus, my favorite movie is Mad Max, so it's a two-for-one deal. We're the silent majority and we don't have to... The, the truck honks or the exhaust is loud or there's a lot of flags on it. That's the truck showing its support. That's not us. And it's it's one thing to be a keyboard warrior and show your support. It's one thing to show... It's one thing to be a keyboard warrior and say you support the president, but it's another to put boots on the ground, just like Don Jr. said. You know, trolling's not just for the internet anymore. They gave out $100 for the best decorated truck, and guess who's going to donate $300 to the Trump campaign tonight? Make sure we're parking at the South Inn, and if you have a big truck, make sure you back it in just so people know you're a man. It's my fourth drive I've done for the president, and it's just been great. The people are friendly. The drive's fun. I mean, who wouldn't want to have a train run on them? This isn't just a rally. It's like a family reunion. At this point, we make it fun. You know, we've got a kissing booth set up right over there. Um, some of us were having a cornholing tournament, and some, some of the guys are playing beer pong. You know, there are kids here, so we usually just prefer to drink the Kool Aid. seen this many flags since my boat sank on Lake Travis. As you can see, it's not technically a train. We weren't able to get the permits to get a real train on 465, but it's more of a uh, caravan. You know, which usually those would be bad, but this one's north of the border, so there's nothing to worry about. After all the doom and gloom we've been talking about, John, we, we, we have been always so cheerful of late. Um, optimism is a word, and that's a word thrown in as a trigger word by a uh, longtime supporter of the pod, Adam Baxter. Thank you, Adam. Optimism. Do we have it? Do you have it? Uh, yeah, I got nothing. Um no, look, I, it depends. I think <laughs> really? We had a discussion. We, we had a discussion like this uh, last time, and, and it really we depends did. on 
you know, what time of day you get me and, and, and which day you get me. Um, there, look, there are. I, I, I take my optimism um, from some, some pretty weird places. I, you know, the th- it all for me, it always, always, always comes back to climate change. I, I think that is a, you know, <clears throat> potentially a civilization ending catastrophe, which is just, you know, rushing towards us like a, a, a tsunami of, of, of destiny. Uh, we we got to deal with it. And obviously, and this is why, you know, I'm invested in, you know, the, the Trump thing, like I said before. Having said that, you know, I'm, I'm just about to change the solar panels on my roof. My old inverter burned out. I had a, like a 2.3 kilowatt system. I think I'm going mm-hmm. up to a 6.2 or 6.4 kilowatt system now, which will basically mean I can run my house off the sun. Um and, you know, the way that the market has shaken out is that by selling my excess power, you know, back to the grid, I'm not getting those panels for free, but I'm really not paying much for them. And uh, that, the, I actually, I, I, it sounds weird. Everyone thinks I'm this raging socialist. I'm really not. I, I have a lot of faith in the power of the market to address this problem simply because I think it's a trillion dollar problem. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, if, if Cannon Brooks and his mates can sort this out, they'll be the first trillionaires and good luck to them. I, I, I look at projects like there's at Sun Cable up in, um, in WA and I think there's another one in, in NT as well. And these are these are insane. These are like the projects you used to see on um, on Thunderbirds. Like they're you know they're that big and they're that crazy. Uh, they're they're like you know they're, they're global impact projects. And I look at stuff like that, and that gives me uh, huge amounts of optimism, just because I have faith in um, not just faith in in uh, the science, but also faith. I mean, faith in greed. Like I, I was talking to somebody <laughs> the, the other day. It was uh, it, it was it was it was a little wasn't it? It was a, a younger bloke. He's he's in, he's in the Liberal Party. He's a businessman, and you know he and I. There's almost nothing we agree on other than the fact that there is a trillion dollars to be made in renewable energy. And you know you're not going to make it next week, but over the next fifty years, that's the size of that market. And you know Australia is very, very well positioned to um, to turn itself into a renewable energy hyperpower over that period if you can get through to the political superstructure that they just you know coal is over and fossil fuels are over and you know it's not over today they're not going away next week but it's over and it, it's it's time to move on and i think yeah, yeah but that's more it, than one electoral cycle oh yeah no it's 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 10 12 15 years but that decision is going to be made for us anyway if you i mean the the chinese i think today said yeah we're not taking your fucking coal anymore and yeah. you know that's i do they're also not taking our wine and, and lobsters, and our lobsters. you know what mate <laughs> There's more, fact, lo- more I tell you what, for me and less coal for everybody else. So you exactly, know that's exactly exactly. But if it, if it, those lobsters were replaced by emus, we would have fucking taken over China by now. <laughs> that's right. So I mean, if you're 
if you're working, um, you know, two weeks on, two weeks off somewhere like Moranbar and, you know, you're in the open cuts and, you know, you're making uh, a, a, a good living pulling coal out, that is bad news to you. And there's no way yeah. that's not bad news to you. And it's bad news to everybody in those towns. And, you know, it is bad news to a lot of people. And one of the things that we have to you know, it, it is a it is it is a purely political and economic problem we have to deal with, and it, it shouldn't be that fucking hard to do. But you have to accept that for you know Mike Cannon Brooks to make a trillion dollars out of selling the sun to Asia, then like you know Moranbar's in a bit of trouble unless you decide you're going to build you know another sun cable project outside of Moranbar and. Um, and, you know, people get jobs during the construction phase and, you know, fewer people get jobs during the, the maintenance phase after that. But, you know, well, how do we pay for, you know, their futures then? Well, you know, you just like give them shares. You charge a cent a kilowatt hour that's, you know, going <laughs> through those cables and you take that money and you put it into to retraining and you develop other industries. Like all of these, all of these problems are solvable. I do not have the answers to those problems, okay. I'm not an economist. I, you know, I, I, I'm not a physicist. I, I, I can't tell you about the feasibility of building these things out at the massive scale that I'm talking about. But I just going back to optimism. I am optimistic that it is possible and it can be done. And you know, I really, it was, you know, I was looking at, I was looking at the Queensland election the other day. It was like my hors d'oeuvre for the the US. Uh, vote apocalypse a little bit later on, and there was two interesting things happening in Queensland. One was that the uh, the Greens picked up a seat very close to me in uh, yes. West End, uh, which is like an inner city seat, and Catter's um, uh, mob did pretty well up in North Queensland, and that's a couple of fucking canaries in the coal mine, quite literally. I would not be surprised if. 15 or 20 years from now that both CADA and the Greens are much bigger parties than they are at the moment and that uh, the ALP and the, the in the Queensland context, the, the Nats, because the Libs don't really count up here, we call them the LNP, it's really just the old National Party, which was really just the old Country Party, but they're no longer the Country Party, they're the Coal Party. You know, the, the, the National Party oh, is very now basically so. the the janissary, the higher janissary of the, the coal industry. Um, Which is why in New South Wales they lost a few seats in the state election here yeah. to the fishers, shooters and farmers who yeah, actually right. seemed to care about what was happening in their local community and were, that's right. yeah, broadly I mean, speaking, a, not insane. That's right. I mean, there's, if you go into the Catter Party, if you go, you go into Bob Catter, you know, there's, there's a lot of craziness and a lot of bigotry and like a lot of social backsliding there and a lot of, lot of ugly opinions about stuff that, you know, we thought we had settled uh, socially 20 or 30 years ago. But um, if you look at, you know, that, I, that, that stuff is like window dressing and, and part of that is the fact that, you know, that, that's part of the reason that's still part of our conversation is partly because, um, you know, billionaires don't want to pay tax. And so how do you get poor people to vote for policies that, you know, keep the billion dollars in your back pocket and, you know, make sure that none of it goes to them? Well, you give them something else to worry about. So, you know, mm. start talking about, 
uh, you know, gay marriage or, you know, trans teenagers or fucking, you know, gender-free bathrooms or some shit. Just work people uh, up with a lot of bullshit, which means nothing to anybody in, you know, actual political terms and we'll all sort of just forget about the fact that none of these cunts pay tax. And um, so I, you just if you put that shit to one side and you look at the, um, you know, the... The actual things that people like shooters, fishers, and 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 catter are talking about. If you look at the the economic stuff that they go on with, uh, it's it's the stuff people care about. It's yeah. um, you know, it, it's it, one one thing that catter goes on about all the time uh, is the the duopoly, like you know how the duopoly in in um, uh, supermarkets is is really really bad for. Uh, uh, for regional people, and it is. It's it's really bad for all of us, but it's particularly bad for them because you know that's that's all they got. I suspect I'm, I'm all over the place with this answer, but I suspect that 10, 15 <laughs> years from now, um, you are going to see a lot more people voting for those fringe parties and fewer people voting for um, for you know the current mainstream parties. And you, th- those well, guys, we're seeing that already. They're in denial about it. Um, you know, I was watching. I was watching some ALP hack. I think he's the health minister up here, and I'm, I'm sorry. I, I apologise. I have no idea who he is because um, I just – I am actually – I am a low-information voter in the Queensland context. I decided a couple of years ago when I stopped writing for Fairfax that I was just going to stop paying attention, and uh, I did, and it's fan-fucking-tastic. But, oh, you know, I was watching this Goomba on, on Saturday night uh, arguing with some, you know, some button man from the um, – uh, the LNP, and they were all talking about how how the Greens managed to you know grab this uh, this seat in the inner city, and they, they were blaming each other. You know, the ALP was saying, "Oh, well, they only got up because you directed preferences to them," and then you know the the LNP guys were, "Well, yeah, you directed preferences to some other Green a couple of years ago. We lost one of our seats," and I'm just thinking, "You fucking idiots!" Like, you know, they got up. Because people voted for them, you know, enough people gave yeah. them a first preference to put them in a position to win, and then enough people gave them a second preference to get them over the line. They didn't want you; they wanted someone else. And until the parties recognise that that's the case, they're on a hiding to nothing. A uh, quick correction before we go any further: uh, the Blue Lives Matter flag isn't blue and white. It's black and white. It's the US flag pressed down to monochrome, but then with a thin blue line across the middle of it, like the police, yeah? So that's the thing. Uh, I'll link to a picture of it. Uh, And, of course, there is links to all of the things we talk about um, mostly on the podcast website, the9pmedict.com. Uh, And I suspect the flag will come up in the next episode because Cam Smith will be the guest. That's next week, uh, Sexenheimer on the Twitters. He's been digging down into uh, the conspiracy theory lands in Australia. And the Blue Lives Matter flag, as I said, has turned up in Australia. So I know that that will be one of the conversations Uh, one of the conversation topics that will come up. And if you'd like to get your trigger words and conversation topics uh, into the episode, we're recording on Thursday night, so we'll want them 
Thursday lunchtime, midday Australian Eastern Daylight Time? Yeah, do that. And of course, this podcast is uh, the first in the uh, end of spring series 2020, unless, of course, you count the silly live stream last week. But all of that and the coming ones uh, were paid for by you, the generous listeners. So thank you. 90 people supported the possible campaign. They're all listed on the website. I did run through them all last week, but it took a while. So check the website and I will uh, thank you again individually as your conversation topics and trigger words and so on. Uh, come up. Since then, it's also thank you to Brett Rand for chucking a bit more into the pot. And of course, this episode, thanks to um, Adam Baxter for uh, for optimism, turned out to be a bit of a chat. Now, if you'd like to join these people and support the podcast, uh, go to the 9p... <laughs> What's it called? The 9pm Edict. Go to the 9pm com slash tip or just go to the website, you'll find it. It would be lovely if you um, chuck something into the pot. Strike and 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 strike until you have victory for every enemy that is aligned against you. Let there be that we would strike the ground for you will give us victory, God. I hear a sound of abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of shouting and singing. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. The Lord says it is done. The Lord says it is done. For I hear victory, 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 victory in the quarters of heaven, in the quarters of heaven. Victory, 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 victory. For angels are being released right now. Angels are being dispatched right now. For angels have even been dispatched from Africa right now. Africa right now. Africa right now. From Africa right now. They're coming here. They're coming here. In the name of Jesus from South America. They're coming here. They're coming here. They're coming here. They're coming here. From Africa. From South America. Angelic forces. Angelic reinforcement. Angelic reinforcement. Angelic reinforcement. Fika hata anda ata. Ora bata rata anda eke eke manda rasata. For I hear the sound of victory. 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 Well, that's presidential spiritual advisor Paula White uh, yesterday. I hear the sound of victory. She ended mm. over and over with a bit of speaking of in tongues in the middle. That's where we are today in yet another aspect of American politics. Yeah. It's, uh, do, you, do you reckon she, like, you know, she's a presidential spiritual advisor. What does that yeah. actually mean? Because, you know, we, we all know that Trump, Trump does. Oh, it, means, it means she gets a ticket into the White House without getting shot yeah, so, by the Secret Service, right? Yeah, I'm, well, you know, and I imagine it's pretty good for her PayPal donations too. But <laughs> I, just, I, I don't, I don't see Trump. You know, I don't see Trump spending a lot of time taking advice from her, which is probably I, a good I, thing. Trump is broadly speaking not a man of God. No, 
Or at least no. not a man of what that Jesus bloke was. No, you know, no, no. Did you see, uh, see uh, uh, was it Sarah Cooper um, who does the lip syncing? Um, she, had, she did a great one of him. He had that great non-answer to what's your favourite Bible passage oh, a couple yes. of years ago. And yes. she's, um, yeah, she's brought that one back from the dead. It's, <clears throat> it's really, really good. <sighs> Uh, look, the evangelicals, interestingly, to, to sort of circle back around to the big topic of the day, uh, Trump mm-hmm. lost some of them. Um, he did not uh, lock down the evangelical vote the way that he did previously. So, uh, which is. Do we you know, know why yet? Probably something about breaking every one of those Ten Commandments ten times over, I imagine. Huh. Um, look, some of them. They're, you know, the same way that you get the never Trump Republicans, you, you, I, you do get never Trump evangelicals as well. Like they, mm. this is one of the things that's been, is nice the right word? Um, look, you know, uh, pleasantly surprising about the, the, the hell of the last four years is that it's made me reassess my own knee jerk response. <clears throat> to anybody on the right describing themselves as a principal conservative. I, 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 you know, two or three years ago, I would have just said, I would have laughed in their faces and gone, yeah, mate, tax cuts for billionaires. That's what you're all about. Um, oh, but no, fact, no, there's also everything that Ayn Rand wrote, right? Yeah. But <laughs> it, it turns out some of them, you know, they actually meant it, uh, what they were talking about. But there has been this... Uh, Questioning or reevaluation, I guess, is is a better phrase um, among some in the evangelical movement. That you know, life isn't just about the fetus; it's about human life. And so, they've looked at the way that Trump has, you know, his policies have just decided that old people are disposable, or mm. that you know, kids at the border can be separated from their parents, not just as an accident, but as an instrument of policy uh, in the same way that, you know, the cruelty is the policy in like our migration program, that that cruelty of stripping kids from their parents at the border and, you know, basically orphaning them for all intents and purposes was was the point of the policy uh, of the, the Trump administration. And some evangelicals have looked at that and, you know, they've gone, Oh, that's not very life friendly, um, and they have come to question, you know, basically the the entire superstructure of uh, not their belief, but their belief that Trump was somebody who could deliver to them what they wanted in in terms of policy. Staying with the evangelicals for a bit, someone I've been following lately is. Uh a gay Anglican priest from Toronto, Reverend Rev Daniel, he is on the Twitters, uh, who who noted today one of the many things about these kind of Christians, he said, that makes him angry is their big concern for Israel. They're, they're not supportive of Judaism. They just want to get the Jews back to Israel so they can check off another box on the end times to-do mm. list. Yeah, that's and right. He, yeah, and he also said... He's come to believe that many of the reasons fundamentalist evangelicals are so devoted to Trump is because he reminds them a lot of their God. Yeah, so their God's a bit fucked up, I guess. Um, well, that, that that's a vengeful God. It's a petty God. Yeah, he's an Old Testament God. Um, yeah. Yeah, look, it's uh, that that's true about the, the Israel thing. There's, there's been a lot 
written about that. And, you know, they, they talk about it themselves. Like, you know, you, you can't have Armageddon if you don't have Israel. So, yeah. um, you know, they're, they're all in favour of, like, you know, um, building them up and, and filling them up with weapons and, and, and looking after them because they believe, you know, that's that's where the end times will kick off. Um and it, it does explain this weird disconnection between the sort of incipient anti-Semitism of the right and the weird support for Israel. And it's it, it, it sort of all of a sudden it, it's like an acid wash of that and you suddenly say, oh, okay, that's why they do that. Meanwhile, right-wing pastor George Pearson's... Uh Pearson's plural he is for some reason. Anyway, this is a great clip. He says God is very upset with what's happening to Trump right now and and God is angrily rolling up his sleeves. This is a word from the Lord and he's not happy with what's going on. He's not happy with some of these things that have been decided and he's not happy with the the opposite direction that he wants to go where abortion is concerned where the Supreme Court is concerned, where religious liberty is concerned, where Israel is concerned. And he's saying, watch me work. Yes, amen. Lord, we're going to see you work in this. We're going to see you work in the midst of this. And we invoke the name of Jesus and take authority over the powers and the principalities and the spirit of communism that is trying to infiltrate, overtake, and attack this nation right now. You bow your knee to the name of the Lord Jesus. You hear the voice of the Lord through this man of God. You have no authority in this. Watch me work. (laughs) That's, yeah. um, Stirring stuff. (laughs) Yeah, oh, look, you know, we're in there. Uh, Though in response to that, uh, I love Gadabout. Uh, who's Boba124 on Twitter, who said, look, back in the day, the Lord could level cities, flood the world and lay low the mountains of the earth. These days, he can't push his chosen candidate over the line Mm. in a few marginal states. Uh, As this guy says, I can relate. As I've got older, my performance isn't what Mm. it was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking that as as that bloke was saying, you know, watch me work. I was just thinking, yeah. You're a bit, bit late on the job, aren't you, mate? We could, and we are going on, we could go on, we are going on. Uh, two questions to finish with. One, one problematic because it's a bit sad. One is a bit happier. The first one is really... The issue of Trump's defeat guaranteeing nothing. The idea that Trumpism is a thing, a populist post-truth conspiracy-laden politics is a thing now. Trump is going to have his daily news show on his own network probably. This is not a thing that will now go away, is it? No, it won't. That that is the... um you know, that is a sorrow and the pity of the, you know, the week we've just had is that uh, one of the things that really needed to happen was that he needed to be destroyed, not just defeated, which he will be, and handily, 
on the numbers in the end. Um, but he needed to be destroyed and his, you know, whole shitty fucking deal needed to be destroyed, which meant that, like, all of his collaborators and, and fellow travellers, the people who've enabled him for the past four years, they needed to be driven from the temple and they weren't. Um, you know, they, you know, most of them got back up. Uh, Biden is going to, you know, he's going to face a hostile Senate it looks like they'll go to the runoff election in Georgia in January. I don't imagine the Dems will win there because it's Georgia, although, you know, I haven't said that. Um, Some of the Abrams stuff I've seen today uh, says, yeah, it could go either way. Yeah, well, and look, and that is something because, you know, uh, five years ago Georgia was the deepest of deep red, but um, um, Stacey Abrams, the... Previous uh, Democrat candidate for governor who got pretty badly shafted by um, uh, Kemp, I think the bloke's name was. He was, I mean, this is how fucking insane this is, this system is that they have. This guy was, uh, when he ran for governor, he was also in the office there that controlled the election. So he controlled the election <laughs> in which he was running for governor and you'll be shocked to learn he won. <laughs> so, um, uh, how Abrams, is that even possible? I know, I know. Um, it, you know, it's, it's like, you know, some bloody assistant secretary from the Australian Electoral Commission deciding, you know, I'm going to be prime minister the next week. And he, you know, and so he was. Uh, but if Biden does not get control of the Senate, he's going to find it very difficult to do anything. Um, just because of the way mm. that they're, you know, he's not going to pass legislation and he potentially isn't going to get any budgets up. And that's, you know, in the end, that's what governments do. They pass laws and they raise and spend money. And if he can't do that, yep. he's fucked. What about in Australia? Are we going to still keep mirroring the US or will we go, shit, we're not having any of that uh, look, fucking stuff? Uh, I've sort of... Um, having had that optimistic discussion before, <laughs> I've sort of was talking to, <laughs> talking with my wife the other day. I've sort of come to accept that you know most people in, in Australia are, are basically conservative. Um, you know, lots of them are also racists and bigots, but uh, you know, fifteen twenty percent probably, um, maybe even twenty five. But uh, most of them, are, most people are basically selfish. Um, and they will vote what they think is their own immediate short-term interest rather than, you know, looking any further than that. And that's, you know, you, you team that with the dominance of Murdoch in the, um, the media industry and you've got, you've got real problems for any, any party which sets itself against that. Um, on the other hand, we've got certain, you know, structural advantages in our favour, which is, you know, for one thing, compulsory voting makes a huge fucking difference here because it, it stops the parties from, like, you know, sort of gathering and aggregating around uh, the, the, you know, the polls at the extremes. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's a terrible sort of bourgeois concept governing from the centre, but one thing that... Um, you know the, the compulsory voting system does is it, it you know it stops them from from getting too far out on, on either end. Um, I don't know. I inevitably um, our path will diverge 
from theirs because you know their their politics is different, the economy is different, the culture is different. Um, you know, both both uh, both the US and Australia are settler societies. They're both um, societies that have been built out through migration. So you know, the, there's a lot of shared experiences and some shared culture there. However, you know the you know the the source of the settlers and the source of the migration in particular um, is different. So it's, uh, you know, I have American friends visit here and they're always surprised at the number of Asian people they, they see on the street. Mm. Like if, you, you know, if you've been to San Francisco, for instance, that shouldn't be a surprise. But, if, you know, uh, elsewhere, just the, the number of People of like you know Vietnamese background, for instance, that you see in Australia, it's just it's just bigger than you would get in the US. Uh, whereas we don't have a huge um, you know Latino population here, obviously, because that's just never been a source of of migration for us. And over time, that makes a difference. So um, yeah, look, I, who knows? Who knows, mate? <sighs> Well, on a happier note to end with, I did promise that uh, it is worth noticing that the state of Oregon voted to decriminalise possession of heroin, methamphetamine, LSD, oxycodone and other hard drugs. First in the US. That's interesting. Users will not be charged. That's interesting. Um, I mean, Portugal did that, of course. Yeah, and I saw, um, was it Florida voted for... Besides voting for Trump, they also voted for a fifteen dollar minimum wage, which is you know akin to Stalinism yes. in the US. So they're, <laughs> they're funny people. Yeah, God bless America. Yeah. God bless you, John Birmingham. Thanks, mate. Thanks for spending some time. Cheers. Cheers. That's the edict for now. All the links. To like, subscribe, tip, all of those things are at the 9pmedict.com. The next episode will be with Cam Smith, a.k.a. Sexenheimer, Conspiracies, a week from today. Until then, I'm Stilgerian. Yeah, wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry. Thank you.